Hey everyone, it's Brandon Lee, host of the podcast Escaping Rock Bottom. I'm really excited to have this guest on today. Why? Because I know his wife very well. <laughs> Her name is Kristen Day, and today we have Ian Day on the podcast talking about experience, strength, and hope when it comes to recovery, uh, and I know he's got a lot of hope to share. Uh, for a lot of families out there who are also struggling with addiction and also raising kids in a mixed family. So uh, Ian, it's good to have you here, my man. Man, it's a blessing to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm so excited to be able to share and give hope back to some people and and just let them know it's possible you know i was at a man such a hopeless state in my life so to be able to be useful yeah i mean that's what it is right i mean i feel like if we don't have any if we feel like if we feel like we don't have any use anymore we lose that sense of purpose and i think that the one beautiful thing about recovery is all of us have been in the shit Yes. Like we've all been down in the mud. Yes. And I think that that's one thing that makes recovery so amazing is that we have the opportunity when we heal ourselves, right? We have the opportunity from an empathetic heart to sit down and and look at somebody in the eyes and say, I get you and I see you and I know that pain because we've been there. And I think that's why I've done this podcast, right? Is because not everyone is a member of AA and not everyone goes to a meeting, right? right. And so... The reason why I wanted to bring this is I feel like sometimes I'm bringing a meeting to the masses, even Mm. though they're not even in a program, right? Because they could be on their way to work or they're just hopeless or maybe they have a brother or sister who's struggling and they just need something to better understand what addiction is and also to see somebody who's made it, right? And who's making it uh, and making a good life. So it's good to have you on. Uh, Ian, I do this with everybody. I do this with everybody. Um, Take me back uh, to your childhood. Like where was Ian born and raised? Well, I was uh, born and raised in Centerville, Indiana. Uh, really, really little town. One stoplight, one gas station, no fast food. Uh, we had to go to uh, the town next to us for everything. Uh, my mom and dad are still together today. So that's amazing. That is um, amazing. Yeah. Man. A lot of time with addiction, you, you, we hear a lot of broken home families. I didn't get that. Yeah. I didn't get that. There was, and that's, and that's what I try to share a lot with the people that are in these rooms, man. And in recovery is that... You don't have to have had a lot of trauma per se from just massive situations that happened and and it doesn't have to be um, such a storybook like horrible thing that had happened to me that got me into the place where I was just doing drugs and drinking and mm-hmm. and running amok and um, I came from a good home in that in that little town. Uh, my parents loved me. They loved me unconditionally. All they wanted was the best for me. They were at every single sports game, every single event. My dad went with me to tournaments. We played baseball all year round. Um, And they just wanted to allow me to grow in every aspect of my life and try to get me in the right direction. Now, I've learned in my life that like, I, I have an experience that I'm supposed to have from when I'm born. And that experience isn't going to be something that I get to choose. Right. Uh, I can I can try my best and navigate in the right direction. But if I'm supposed to go through something, I'm supposed to go through something. So when I was growing up in that little small town, you know, I wanted to be the home run king. And I was, yeah. you know, I, I was that, that sport kid, right? And uh, that's something that I really enjoyed doing because I was a little bit heavier set. And I got picked on a little bit because I was, my parents loved me so much that I was a little bit of a crybaby. 
and I got I got hit on for that, right? And uh, I didn't know how to I didn't know how to control my emotions at that point, and I would cry even more. And and uh, it came to a point where if I just got better at sports and I I was the best one, didn't matter how much I cried, because I'm hitting home runs. You know, I'm winning, right? right? And uh, and so that's kind of how I combated the trauma that came from any bullying or or um, any uh, sideways feelings that I might have had because you know my spiritual malady starts developing when I'm a small child. You know I'm I'm born an alcoholic. That's just what it is. Um, I and and once I take that first drink, there's a reaction that takes place. Right um, before that first drink, I felt really out of place. Um, I was the kid that was at the dance that everybody liked, but I thought that I was so unliked and that if I went up to any girl and asked her to dance, that I was just going to humiliate myself and I didn't want to dance because what if they thought this and they thought that and I can't change how they think if they think this and I embarrass myself and all of this is running through my head. That's how my head works. Right. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is that, and I, and I love the fact that you, that, you know, in your story, because I think it's important for those who are listening and watching to understand is that you did come from a very loving home and you had oh, parents yes. who loved you unconditionally and you felt yes, that love absolutely. Um, because that's not always the way with a lot of addicts, yeah. right? But, but I am of the belief because I am, I, I am with you that I think it is a genetic thing. I think that we are born, um, we are born with the gene to be an alcoholic or, mm-hmm. you know, to have that. But, but I don't believe everyone born with that gene becomes an alcoholic. Mm. Like, I don't believe just because you have that gene, you become one. It is the result of trauma being a triggering circumstance that, that initiates it. Right. You have the genetic disposition. The moment trauma hits with that person, it'll eventually lead them down a dark path. And I think for you and for other people, and I tell people this all the time, we have to understand that we cannot, we cannot compare traumas. Because mm-hmm. wait, what may have been traumatic to me as a child, right? Being a survivor of child sex abuse, which is terrible, and, and child abuse, right? I never want somebody being like, well, I was never molested, so uh, I didn't have any trauma. Or my parents loved me, I didn't have any trauma. Because bullying... Mm-hmm. Bullying is traumatic. Absolutely. You know, and and bullying just even in the childhood realm yeah. is very, very traumatic because it gets you to be insecure, right? It, the, the bullying mm. can get, you know, Ian, the super loving big teddy bear of a guy to not want to dance, to not mm-hmm. feel comfortable being out there in, in the fear, right, of being ridiculed or shamed or even being more bullied. Yes. So bullying is just a traumatic experience right you know and i heard i heard the other day um somebody explained trauma right um it could look like what you were just talking about right that severe or it could look like somebody taking my ice cream cone tipping it upside down and throwing it on the ground yes right and that's trauma correct uh the feelings and the emotions that come from that experience are the same correct so that's yeah what you're explaining right there and it is and you know there was a woman we just interviewed on good morning sunshine and she's now a doctor um this incredible woman she lived for about a decade underneath the seventh street bridge Ooh, all right and she was an alcoholic and we had her on the show and now she's a doctor Right, it's just an incredible story of survival. <laughs> In fact, I think uh, Oprah right now is making a documentary on OWN Network about her. Oh, wow. And she was here about a month ago, and and I asked her, and I said, "What was your what was your trauma?" And she told me she knew exactly what it was. She was in the fifth grade, and a little boy went up to her on the school playground, called her the N word, spit in her face, 
all over her. She went to the teacher and went to the administrators and say, so-and-so just called me the N-word and he's covered in spit. And they told her, get out of here. You'll, you'll be fine. Wow. And she says it was that moment that began the spiral downward of her life. Yeah. So as you said, right, the ice cream of the tipping of the, to- of the cone, it was yeah. that one moment for her that made her feel less than, that made her feel not accepted, that made her feel shame. And she said she came from a loving home, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I want, I think this is a really great conversation with you because there are parents, Ian, who listen to this podcast mm-hmm. and you know what they're saying? We've loved our child. <laughs> We've loved our child. Like, we've always been there. We've always supported him. We've been to every game. We've done all those things. And yet he's still out there on the streets. He or she is still out there and they're using. Like, what did we do wrong? And it's important for them to understand, just like your parents, they didn't do anything wrong. It was outside circumstances that can cause a traumatic event. Right, right, right. They're meant to go through that. Yeah. Uh, it, It makes me stronger in that sense. It gave you an opportunity. My shaman tells me, Brandon, we will all go through trauma. Some of us will go through severe trauma. Mm. He goes, but those are actually opportunities Mm -hmm. for us to heal in order for us to find our soul's purpose. Mm. Like those are opportunities. Like you had an opportunity, right? I look at it as opportunities saying trauma is bad. Like nobody wants to be hurt. But instead of looking at it as a woe is me, right? Looking at it as this is an opportunity for me to grow. Because that's how we grow as people. Yeah, let's pull the good out of it. Right. Yeah. And let's grow and heal so that we can then help others heal. Absolutely. Well, that's the secret of life, right? Let's pull the good out of it. You know, let's not focus on the bad. And let's pull the good out of it and see what we can do with it. Because we're always being prepared for something. Correct. We're always being prepared. It's never, we, as humans, I think myself included, like to uh, view our lives too much in the future. And, um, and you know, I, I see the future. I've felt the past. And that present moment and what I'm being prepared for in the present moment is for the future. But I can't be in the future yet. I have to be here. I have to understand that whatever I'm going through is experienced just like a job when I get trained for a job. I need that experience and then multiple years, right? Like we were talking earlier, multiple years of experience to get me right here where we're at today. And you know, that's the way I look at my relapse in 2020. Yeah. It was an experience. And I use that word, I experienced a relapse. You will Mm. never hear me say I suffered a relapse. Right. No, I experienced a relapse in 2020. Yeah. I did. But you know what that did? It gave me that opportunity that I had to go through that gave birth to my new career, Art of Our Soul, but almost 100% of the people who come into Art of Our Soul on a daily basis, about 60 addicts a day, about 100% of them have experienced a relapse. Like to me, I look at that, I'm like, Brandon, be grateful for that relapse. A, it gave you birth to a new life because it gave me that opportunity to do the real healing work that I needed to do. Because for like 12, 13 years, all I did was go to meetings. And while meetings are very important, can be, it was so crucial for me, especially in the early stages of my recovery. But just going to meetings alone for 12 to 13 years never healed me from my trauma, right? I needed to use other modalities in order to heal me from that trauma. So when I relapsed, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do inner child work. Like I'm going to go back and reprocess all the trauma that I experienced as a child to heal from that so I don't continue to operate in fight or flight so that when trauma hits, 
like it did in 2020 for me, mm-hmm. I don't immediately get triggered to go into fight or flight. Right. right. And so I look at that as an opportunity because now I can relate to every single person who walks into my art studio on a daily basis. And I'm like, get rid of the shame. It's all good. This is an opportunity for you to grow. And look at my life. A year after that relapse, I opened up the dream job. Right. A year after that. It didn't take me 12 or 13 years to achieve that happiness. Absolutely. Right? Um, so how bad did it get for you? Like, what did that rock bottom look like for Ian? And how old were you? Like, where in your timeline wow. were you? So, and how did that look? Um, first things first, uh, I want to share about, so this is, this is where it got to, right? We talked about, you know, the childhood or whatnot and in about fifth grade, sixth grade, right? Um, I had a kid that I hung out with every single day after school and, uh, he was a really good friend of mine. And that's why I love our stories so much because that's my, my childhood looks like that. You know, he got introduced somehow. Uh, um, I can't speak for him into um, his dad's porn collection. And he showed me. And my first sexual experience was with that. You know, he molested me. And I didn't know any different. I didn't know what that was like. I didn't think that it felt too bad. But I was ashamed of it. Because there was one time where we ended up almost getting caught. I pulled away and I knew it was wrong. I didn't, you know what I mean? That wasn't for me. That wasn't something that I, that I necessarily enjoyed, but, uh, he made it seem like it was okay. Right. And And you were in the fifth grade about, yeah, about fifth, sixth grade. And how old was he? Same age. Same age. Okay. Yeah. And we went to high school together for the rest, uh, you know what I mean? So it's, it's my first experience of sweeping that shame underneath the rug yeah, and uh, that was that first bump in the rug, right? And um, and that was just what kind of started everything for me, because I can look back. I don't understand why I decided that I wanted to drink. I didn't understand why I decided I wanted to start to um, see what weed was like, or um, I just knew. I I remember, <clears throat> excuse me. I remember a couple of times, the first couple of times, weed and alcohol, right? And I'm sitting in the mirror and I'm waiting for it to happen. Like I've, I've ingested the alcohol. Um, I've smoked the weed and I'm sitting and I'm like, I'm just waiting for that feeling. Right. Like, because I like the effects produced by drugs and alcohol, essentially. That's why I do what I do. It and, just takes you out of reality. And, and I get to the point where I'm an alcoholic. Right. Um, so cool that I know that nowadays. Uh, because then I didn't know that. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know that when I took that drink or when I scored that that weed from my my buddy's brother that's in high school and we're, you know, in eighth grade going into yeah. high school that <laughs> that I was gonna have an allergic reaction like I did and that that I develop a phenomenon of craving that doesn't stop and that I chase that craving. I either chase that craving and fulfill it. Or I'm restless, irritable, and discontent and end up being mentally unstable. Right. Um, or complete abstinence. But that wasn't on my plate. <laughs> I didn't I didn't understand. I didn't I didn't want to seek out complete abstinence. That wasn't something like um moving in through and getting because that dream of home run king kind of disappears. Yeah. Um and that was frustrating. Everybody else is going to college. I somehow graduated high school, got into college in Indiana, and I didn't even last a semester, man. Mm. Uh, written up, written up, kicked out. Uh, I went to a Catholic university called uh, the University of St. Francis. It's in Indiana and Fort Wayne. And 
within a couple of months, my parents moved me in and then my dad flew back home from Arizona to move me back out. And, uh, I was in Indiana. They were here. Dad had scored a job out here. He's an awesome nurse, man. Awesome. Awesome nurse. He's got his doctorates in nursing now. Um, but he came back to get me. We went out to Arizona and that's how I got out here. And uh, I'll be forever grateful for that experience. You know, it's amazing how God works in your life and you don't even know it's happening. Uh, I would have stayed at that school for four years if those those events didn't transpire. And I would have been somewhere where he didn't want me. You know, uh, the experience that I gained through being out here and going through the years, because all through my 20s, I used and drank. Yeah, me too. Um, what, how old were you when you got sober? When I got sober, I was 30. The, my sobriety date six twenty seven eighteen. So I just celebrated on Monday four years of continuous. nice congratulations yeah. congrats yeah. that's yeah. awesome it is man um, it it's it's absolutely fantastic um, and I I got to celebrate that time with just amazing friends and family and my, both my kids yeah. you know because I want to get into that family I want to get into that family stuff but when you hit your rock bottom. What did like? Did you go to treatment? Did you not go to treatment? Did you just did you go to meetings first? Like, what did that look like? For so you? that it looks so different for everybody. What that rock bottom looks like in 2015, I got arrested five times, uh, two times in Pinal County, three times in Maricopa County, and in 2016 I got arrested again in Maricopa County. Uh, so I did my first 30 days um before that last arrest and uh, got out for seven days and went back and got sentenced to a year in maricopa county yeah i got sentenced to either a year in maricopa county um with early release upon completion of the alpha program it was called a non-agreement plea right so the judge had the opportunity to give me two and a half in prison or this year in county and go to treatment right. so my first time in treatment was in county jail wow yeah yeah and i loved it yeah yeah i, lo- I mean i didn't love being in jail oh, but, i mean i didn't love being <laughs> yeah. there but yeah. i i enjoy receiving know. my first emoji emotions and feeling sheet yeah uh, i feel like those <laughs> those sheet the little sheets with the emojis on them and the feelings on them yeah. uh, i never looked at feelings that deeply i i was so delusional and I was in such a mindset that I had never even understood that there's emotions and feelings. I just thought anger was it. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. Um, there's a really great book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. And I always recommend everybody read it to understand trauma and the impacts it has on the body. And that traumatic life ex- experiences, even from you going back as a, you know a fifth grader and you know, sadly having that unwanted sexual experience and right. being so exploited at such a young age, first mm-hmm. off, then the, the bullying, right. Um, that trauma lives inside of you. The body never forgets those experiences. And so the reason why a lot of us eventually become so angry later on in life is because that energy is trying to find a way out. And I feel like, uh, I was tired of crying. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just the way our bodies work. Yeah. And so that's why I tell people, if you heal the trauma, you heal the person. Yeah. You know, because listen, Ian, I've been to more meetings than you. You've how many years? Uh, four. Four. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely still have more meetings. So I've, I, I used to go to five meetings a week. Yeah. For almost 12, 13 years. It's a long time. It is. Okay. Dude, the reason why I know this 
from my experience to be true is because there are some people with 30 plus years of recovery and they're assholes. <laughs> I know? love it. I love you know? it. And they can be an ass. Yeah. You know, because granted, and I tell them, congratulations, like you have managed to not pick up a drink or a drug for 30 years. Yeah. But you're still an asshole because a lot of them have never gone back to actually do the healing work yeah. from whatever trauma they, f- they faced. Yeah. And to me, recovery is more, okay, it's more than just not picking up a drink or a drug. Hmm. Recovery is more than that. Yes. Recovery is being a good dad. Well, it says, you know, you know, sometimes it's the educational variety. Correct. You know, it comes slowly. Right. And so yeah. that's why I just recommend everybody who's even within AA or any 12-step program, amazing. It's a piece of the pie. Like there's still other work that needs to be done mm-hmm. to heal the human, to heal the whole person. Because recovery to me is not cheating on a wife. Mm. Okay. And there's a lot of people in. Absolutely. Right, there's a Practice lot of. your principles in all of your affairs. Correct. But in order to, to be able to do that, you have to heal your whole self because otherwise your wires are still crossed. You're still going to make poor life decisions. And that's why I tell people even in, you know, in meetings, I'm like, how many relapses have you had? And you've just been going to AA, right? Because it's not enough for you. Like you need to do more healing work to rewire the brain. So you're not making poor life choices anymore. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, it didn't look just like the AA program for me. Right. Uh, I was on probation for a long time, right? So, um, So I actually got introduced to anything healing through the state probation department. And they were just angels to me. Everything that they suggested was exactly what I needed when I needed it at exactly the right time. I got to go to IOP, SOP, relapse prevention stuff. I got to go to halfway houses with cockroaches living in them, you know, and I got to, I got to fully see and have the whole human experience of what it's like to be at the bottom, 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 bottom and stay. Because I think that's the most important part of what rock bottom looks like for individuals is that we try to climb out ourselves. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> I can't climb I can't. out. I can, no, I don't know you the can't. way. There, no, there is no way. I got myself down there. Yeah. And I don't know the way out. So what it takes for me, what it took for me is, is for somebody to jump down to my rock yeah, bottom with for me. Sure. And be like, hey man, don't worry. Yeah. We're gonna do this together. I'm with you hundred percent. And I'm gonna I'm gonna show you what this looks like. Now, it's on me at that point whether I listen mm-hmm. or I continue to be said asshole. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, because none until of us I'm can, miserable. Yeah. And that's why I, I will always, and I say this all the time. And while I do, I, you know, I, I do challenge some of the thinking, you know, within any 12-step program because I am my own thinker, right? And I think it's okay to challenge some of the thinking. I will always give so much praise and thanks for AA to, to give me such a foundation at the beginning of my recovery. Absolutely. Because at the beginning, I wasn't willing to go to therapy yet. Like, I wasn't willing to do those modalities, so I just needed to not pick up or pick up or use for those first several years. I mean, God, if I'm being honest, for the first seven to eight years, mm-hmm. I didn't, I do, I wasn't ready for therapy. It's a long time, but I didn't pick up a drink or a drug, <laughs> right? I know it's a long time. Like you know, I had seven <clears throat> or eight years, right? Always continuous recovery. I had the one relapse in 2020, but. I wasn't ready, so I always give thanks to AA. Well, AA kept me so, you know, I was able to stay sober for seven or eight years before I was finally willing and ready to do talk therapy. I did that for about five years until I relapsed, and then I did real, like, EMDR shamanism to get me past the frontal lobe to do inner child work, right? So finally, I started to do different modalities, but I tell people all the time, like, 
I can't hate on it, man. It, it really helped me build a foundation at the very beginning. Got me a lot of people surrounded by, you know, surrounds you with, you know, people who are also on the same road to recovery that can be there for you to kind of show you the way that it is possible. So yeah. I never do that. The only thing from my lived experience is what I tell people in these rooms all the time is you got to heal the whole person and we've got to be able to use other modalities. I always say it's meetings and, right? It's it's meetings and. It's not just meetings. It's meetings and, you know? And because I just am of the firm belief that we have to do the healing work in order to be an amazing dad, right? Mm -hmm. To be an amazing husband. And that brings me to this. So you have, um, I know Kristen, your wife. Um, how many kids do you guys bring it how many kids do you guys have explain the family dynamics because i think this is going to be really important yeah for yeah, people yeah. to understand how co-parenting works in recovery yeah. and what does that look like and some of the challenges and some of the benefits of it so and how uh, sobriety actually keeps you all oh, together and sane. <laughs> well first things first um I know that she wouldn't mind me sharing any of it because she's been with you. Yeah, she's been you with know? me. She's and been she's here with book. you. Right. And I mean, my God, she videotaped. And that's why we... Kristen, you videotape your whole life. So <laughs> she's an open book. <laughs> and that's why we get along so well, man, is because that vulnerability is a part of our healing. Right. Right. We have to be um, That's something that I wasn't willing to do before. No. So I've realized that anything that I wasn't doing prior to that rock bottom, I need to be doing. I need to be reading. I need to be vulnerable. I need to be truthful. I need to be honest. I need to be all of these things that I didn't get to do before. But I also understand that that's what's gotten me to where our family is. She brings three kids, right? Okay, so she, Kristen brings three kids mm -hmm. into the marriage because you all met in a, in a meeting. Right. In meetings. Uh, right? Yeah, the or, CA convention. Okay. In so, 2019, yeah. she was hanging out with my friends. With your friends. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first reaction when you saw her? Were you like, she's trouble? Oh, gosh. You want me to be honest? Yeah, I want you to be <laughs> damn honest. So I saw her, was attracted to her. Okay. Right? Like through through just social media. Yeah. And then um, my first natural instinct is to be like, oh, she ain't shit. You yeah, know, yeah, now yeah. I hate on her for a little bit from afar. And then I saw her hanging out with all of the friends that I, you know, I was from Mesa. She's from BF, west yeah. side of Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I asked her, I was like, hey, what are you doing with, you know, my friends? And she was like, we're at the CA convention. Come on over. And, uh, and I was like, oh, man, because I was really to the point where I was working on me. Yeah. Um, I had gone through a couple of, yeah. You know, little shoddy relationships. Yeah. But it was really cool because that I was able to uh, find a way out and not be heartbroken. I knew my worth. I knew yeah. all that. So I was like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. And so I meet her and uh, it was just, oh, man, if you could say cliche enough, love at first sight. Yeah. Like I just absolutely adore her. And she brings just as much to the table as I can bring to the table when we're together around people. I'd never found a woman that I can just, we can show up, go this way and then bring everybody together back right. in them. You know um, how a room, you know, you just show up sometimes and it's, and, and it's just, we just the way she works a room and the way that I get to, I can look at her from across the room and her smile. Just, she just melts my heart, man. Yeah. That's and, uh, and that's just something I've never had. Dinner's always on the table. Yeah. Um, and she that she cares. Yeah. You know, um, I've never gotten to see what that's like because through my twenties and into this is the first healthy relationship that I've ever had. So, like you said though, that takes a lot of outside 
work it does i I study (laughs) study 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 yeah because that's my job as a husband right right is to study and bring that to the table for us and and so uh she brings three they're all older they're all out the house um 20 well 21 her it gets in depth um she's on the pod if anybody wants to know yeah she's been on my podcast you can go yeah uh, you can go back. It was one, it was God maybe season two at the very beginning. Anyway, right. it's Kristen Day. Right. Um, so I've done a podcast episode. Right. With so your, I won't with get too in depth because yeah. of so, time and stuff. Yeah. Um, we have twenty one Chase. Okay. Um, eighteen Alyssa, and sixteen going into seventeen Lolo. Um, she sees the other two quite a bit. Yeah. Lolo, not so much. Okay. Still mending relationships in the sense of all of that. Got it. Um, talk to, talk to her all the time though. Okay. But she brings three. I bring two. And um, yours are how old? Uh, eight and five. Eight and five. Or six now. He's okay. six. He's six. Eight and six. Okay. So I see a lot of him. Oh yeah. On social media. Oh yeah. Okay. So I see those little ones and that's, you're bringing that into the relationship, but you and Kristen do not have any children together. No. Okay. Um, thank God. <laughs> well, it's just like, okay. Because yeah. Because like this, and I mean, this is, it's a beautiful story about how recovery, right? Yeah. How recovery can actually help a blended family. Right. The only way it was possible is I stayed where I was and I just let it go. Okay. That's the only way that that is possible. Um, I was told multiple times in 2018 when I walked into the halfway house with a backpack on. You're never going to amount to anything. You're a piece of shit. You'll never see your kids again. We don't want you to see your kids again. We're moving. So daughter's family's moving out of state and son that's here, Ryder, um, his mom just didn't want me to have anything to do with him. You know, not until you're okay. Right. And, uh, and, and to be honest, we really don't think that's going to happen. So I, we don't see any hope for you. So I was that hopeless alcoholic that's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Nobody saw any hope, none. And I got to be at that halfway house and I got to stay. It was a three-month program. I stayed for six months. Wow. Uh, I didn't want to make decisions for myself. My sponsor told me, don't make decisions for yourself. Mm. Just stay and stay as long as you can. And when they give you the opportunity, you jump on it. Six months goes by, the house manager comes to me and says, listen, we have sober livings. You know that, right? <laughs> and I was like, no, yeah. like I was just told to stay. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only four people. You can move to this house. So I went to sober living on his on his advice, on his suggestion. And that's the best thing that I can tell people coming into recovery is like when you're at that first stage of your treatment, listen to the people that are there yeah. and take their suggestions my thinking got me to that treatment center. Right. So I shouldn't make a plan for when I'm out. And uh, and I get to live in that halfway or in that sober living for nine months. And I was about a year and so uh, sober and, and been in just controlled areas, um, structured environments for about a year and a half. And, and uh, Ryder's mom finally was like, hey, do you want to have him for the day? And... It just opened that opportunity, and I had him for the day. I went to drop him off, and I noticed some stuff was wrong. I just noticed she was off a little bit, and uh, she said, hey, I'm going to need your help soon, and I knew what that meant, Yeah. and about a month later, DCS knocks on the door, yeah. and they're like, hey, you have a court date, blah, blah, blah. 
two months later, I have sole custody of my son. And I, I can remember when I never thought that I would see him again. Mm. But I did what I was told to do. And the direct result of doing what I was told to do by the people that God put in my life and the suggestions that were sent my way, I got to see God start working in my life. And I got to see the fruit of, of other people's lives come in and just like fill my cup up, man. I got to be filled up for once. And from that day on, I didn't want to do anything but fill my cup to pour it into other people's cups. That's it. I love that so much because to me, it almost was like a living amends playing out. Yeah. And I, I tell newcomers all the time, you know, people come into the program and get a couple of weeks and they immediately just want to go and say their eyes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll never do right. this again. Right. I tell people all the time, you've done that your whole life. <laughs> they don't want to hear words. And certainly they don't want to hear I'm sorry from you right now. <laughs> the right. last thing they want to hear. And I tell people, I said, you know what they want? They want to see you doing well. Mm. They want to see you taking care of you. They want to see you making choices for you and being the best version of you that you can. And in that, that decision to stay there for six months, and then that decision to go to you know, a halfway house, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that next step in recovery. And you end up getting a year and, and, and some extra time. And then that opportunity comes. Yeah. And because you showed people that you were serious about being the best version of you. And when you decide to be the best version of you, everything else takes care of itself. Because those people don't need to hear, I'm sorry. They can see that you were sorry. Right. And that you have decided to be the best version because that's all people want. Right. That's all our families ever want. They just want to see us living our best versions of ourselves. And you did that mm-hmm. without having to say the words, I'm sorry, in order to get your child back. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to be like, I'm really sorry. I'll never do this again, but I want to see Ryder. Right. No. Mm-hmm. What you did is you made decisions to make your life the best it can be. And the end result was getting Ryder back in your life. Yeah. And people need to see that story from you, Ian. Absolutely. In order to say, damn, it's not about like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do this again. No, 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 no. This is all about you and your actions and your behavior. And when you decide to take care of yourself, I promise you good things that you've always wanted to say I'm sorry for to get will naturally come to you. Right. You know, and it's that taking the focus off of what I think my life should be like. Right. Right. <laughs> and just doing what I'm told. Right. I'd never tried that before. And that's because uh, we're stubborn assholes. But I had never seen, I had never gotten to see God work in my life either mm. before because I never let him. Yeah, we don't. No, I was running from him. Yeah. Like I didn't find him. Me like no, he didn't he need to, me. he didn't need to be found. No, no. Like he wasn't I lost. <laughs> he's always working and that's what i've right. always found god is has always been on my side god has always been working right you know because even at that that lowest depths i tell people and i wrote about it in my book like it was one of the chapters i was going to take out because at the depths of my meth using i wanted to hang out with people who were worshiping satan like absolutely the fuck you know but i mean right that's where the dark takes you yeah and wherever there's dark there's light 
And so I tell people that when I overdosed and I was on life support for the second time in two weeks, the first time was showing empathy and compassion. It was this beautiful nurse, four foot eight, nothing, right? She comes Mm -hmm. to my bedside and she holds my hand. She goes, Brandon, do you believe in God? And I said, no, I don't. She goes, that's okay. My God still believes in you. And that's when she gave me $10 out of her purse to go to her church on a Thursday where they had an AA meeting when I was released from the hospital, right? And there it is. So it it wasn't me finding God. God has always been there. Or my higher power, if you don't believe, you know, and necessarily the old thing, it's fine. Spirit. I actually refer to it as spirit. Mm -hmm. So spirit has always, always, always been there along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Always. Absolutely. When we're open to it, we see it. Watching, loving. Right. Caring. (laughs) Caring. Waiting for us. Putting you here instead of here. Correct. Not even knowing that he Giving did. me opportunities even, to open yeah, my eyes and Not even knowing not that, even knowing. that, that, so, that, that yeah. spirit is in control. Yeah, I, I so love that. I so love that. All right, listen. As we begin to close this episode, how is your life today? How life is, is Ian's life today? Beyond my wildest dreams, man. Beyond my wildest dreams. I, I didn't have to move anything around to do this today. You know, like, uh, that's just the way that, that my world works. If I need to be somewhere, it's, it's in my, it's in my schedule and that takes a lot of work to get there. Don't get me wrong. Um, I get to make my own schedule. Uh, I get to set my own appointments. I get to work on the days that I want to work. I get to, um, I'm my own boss. Yeah. Isn't that Uh, crazy? I run a family. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I have my daughter recently said that she wanted to come live with me, too. So we have both of them in the house now. Um, We've been in the same home. I've consistently held jobs for four years. We've been in the same home right now that we're in for two years. That wasn't all like it wasn't always like that. Yeah, Um, I've 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 paid every car payment that I've been asked to pay. Right. I've paid every electrical bill that I've been asked to pay. I don't have to wear um, stripes anymore. Right. Uh, I haven't been to jail <laughs> in six years or so. And it blew my mind the other day. Six years after serving that year in county, I'm filling out an application to go back into that same jail and go serve and and uh, and bring a message back into that jail. Man. It's a beautiful thing, by the way. So I've done I, it. I get to do that yeah, kind of beautiful. stuff today, man. Yeah. I get to have healthy boundaries, healthy communication. I get to feel love. I get to understand things that I've never understood in my life. I get to start to work on um, being able to have investments in different areas. So financially, I'm stable. Uh, I don't. I can go get gas and not even look at what the price is. Right. Um, I there's I, I don't I don't look anymore. Right. God is going to provide everything that I need for my life because I'm doing the right thing and providing for my family. Um, getting to put more than um, than getting to put all my effort in more than one area so that I can see what comes from here. I get to fail without worrying if I'm going to fail or not. Mm. Um, I, fear That's doesn't, a beautiful thing. Fear doesn't drive my life anymore. I was anymore. just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not driven by fear. I'm not, I'm not delusional. I can differentiate the truth from the false, and I get to live in the truth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then there's the materialistic stuff that comes with all of that. Which but is fine, by I, the way. Which is fine. It's fine. You know, the cars, the clothes, yes, the, the, the shoes, the, yeah. the um, I, have a, I have my own mailbox. I have a driveway, you know, uh, I've had, uh, you know, a king, I have a king size bed. Yeah. I, there's two bathrooms, 
you know, I don't have to share those bathrooms with multiple people in a treatment. Right. I, there's so many blessings that come from that. Yeah. So many, but it takes time. It takes time. Yeah. It's not going to be overnight. And it's not going to be from me doing a little bit of work. And no. then it's like you said, healing completely, not healing halfway. No. Healing completely, being studying, 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 uh, listening to people that have done this before. And then I get that understanding. But it also is like, I'm, I'm just, you know, a spiritual being having a human experience, man. So I have to understand that as well. Yeah. Is that things lie deeper than the surface for everybody in here. As long as I can love everybody unconditionally, have tolerance and patience, then I'm fulfilling my purpose. My purpose is to be a maximum service to God and the people around me. If I continue to make that the main focus of my life, please God and and help others and mentor, 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 I'll never have a worry in my life. And that's the best part about this program and and what what just anything healing can offer me is complete peace and serenity. Yeah. So I mean I, I love it. I love it. And, and you know, when we say um and I tell people all the time too, it doesn't take long for, you know, what we call the miracles, right? And right. as they call the miracles in the big book to happen. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time. And, you know, even through my lived experience, I'm ha- my shaman asked me a very simple but very uh, fascinating question. Brandon, do you love the life you have today? Right? Very simple question. Absolutely. And the answer is, I, I love this life that I have today. And he says, good, right? And he goes, give thanks to the abuse that you suffered as a child because, Brandon, without that experience, you would not have this life you have today. Mm. Brandon, do you love your life you have today? And I say, yes, Jean, I love the life I have today. He says, good. Then give thanks to that experience you had in 2020 with the relapse because Brandon, without that experience, you would not have this life you have today. And I'm happier now than I was at year 12 collecting that chip. I am. I'm happier today. A year, if we count, I don't count time anymore, but a year, if we did for a year and a half after the relapse, yeah, about a year and a, a little over a year and a half, I'm happier now than I was then. So again, that's a year and a half later. So I I want people to understand, right? The beginning stages, those first few months are difficult, okay? They're challenging, right? We're like thawing out and we're going through a lot of shit, okay? (laughs) Yeah. But it doesn't have to take long. And when I say long, it doesn't have to take a decade. It doesn't have to take five years, right? To achieve happiness and to achieve peace, right? If you do the work and you do the intensity, it can come very quick. Like there's no timetable to say you will achieve happiness here. And I never want people to get too hung up on time. This is why I I personally don't. Mm -hmm. Because I never want them to think if I make it to a year, I'm going to be happy. Mm. And that's why I don't put that much value in time. I put more value in what's the work we're doing to heal. And let those be barometers of achieving happiness. So I tell people, dude, don't get hung up on year two. I'm going to be good. Right. You're three. Three is just a solid fucking number. Five. Dude, five, I got everything. Right. I never want that to be a barometer of success and happiness. Right. But as you said, right, it is not doing the work half ass, not going to do a little bit of the work or three quarters of the work. It's doing a hundred percent of the work. And if you do a hundred percent of the work, I can almost guarantee you, you will find peace and joy and happiness. Yeah. Never met one person who's done all of the work 
that is going to sit here and say their life is shit. Right. I mean, it all boils down to just open, open-mindedness, honesty, yeah, and willingness. It says, and it says in in those pages, man. It says that that's indispensable. It's absolutely necessary. It, it, it absolutely is. So, if it's absolutely necessary, I get promised multiple times in this life experience that I will be provided everything that I need if I'm willing to listen to all the direction that's given and taken it. Yep. So, if I'm provided everything that I need, well. They said that it's absolutely necessary to have those three things, open-mindedness, willingness, and and honesty, right? I'll be provided that. Yeah. So kick back. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, we and have countless so, stories of, of where that works. Yeah. You know, and, and it does. And it's a secret of that, right? Because right. if I do the work, I'm promised, I'm promised everything I need. Right. So if it's a necessity, I'll get that. Right. So if you just do the work, yeah, like you said, all the way through, you get to have the life. Correct. Right? But it's it's so hard sometimes trying to really explain how good life is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I, I, I try not to. And that's why I even say I don't even have to explain it to people. Yeah. They can just see it. Good. Yeah, that's the best. Right. I don't, I'm not going to, I shouldn't even, that's why I always tell people like if you go, the next time you go to a meeting and you meet somebody new at a meeting is two things that have always traditionally happened in my experiences. It's, hi, what's your name? You're like, hi, my name's Ian. My second follow-up question is how much time do you have? Like, I want to change that. That's one thing I want to change. I want it to be like, hey, Ian. Uh, Oh, hey, what's your name? And you're like, hey, my name's Ian. Ian, how's your life today? Absolutely fantastic. Right? Like, I don't care about the time. Like, just how's your life today? Yeah. And like, because I don't want to prejudge you on the quantity of the time that you have. Naturally, I'm just going to judge you, right? I'm going to compare immediately time to time. That's what we're going to do. So I just want to like get rid of that part and just be like, how's your life today? Right? Because and just show people how great your life is. I don't need to fucking use words. Follow me on social media. I don't know. Follow me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, just talk to me and see what it's like. But you can naturally get a vibe from somebody about how their life is. Like their energy, right? Their, Their positive outlook, their energy right like i don't need to know how much time you have because i know that ian can offer a lot to me just by your outlook on time outlook on life yeah my go-to is is hi my name's ian what's your name um tell me more yeah that's it that's it that's it tell me more tell me more about after your name tell me more they are like what do you mean? Because I never want somebody <laughs> with like a dozen years to think like, oh, Ian, Ian just celebrated four. Well, I only have stuff to offer him. Yeah. Right? Like, no, I, tell me no, more. No, right. Yeah. No, no, I want to get out of that. Ian, my man, it's good to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Thank and, you so and, and much. And continue to live that successful life because I think it's really important, especially when it comes to blended families, right? Yes. It can be oh, just out, in the outside world, outside of recovery, it can be like, I mean, I've had family experience where I see how ugly it can be. Okay. So I see what you and Kristen have. And I'm like, damn, like we need to share more of that story because you all are focused on recovery and focused with living principled life, right? And that's the most important thing, living that principled life and you're doing it because the most important thing is trauma is generational and the last thing you want to do is pass down any trauma to your child, right? Right. Right. And, And by creating a loving home and a loving environment, you're helping to create a solid foundation so that your child, right? Your child never has to go down the path that you did. Mm -hmm. That's life. Absolutely. All right, my man. Um, Thank you at home for, for checking out this episode of Escaping Rock Bottom. We'll see you back here for the next episode.